Hello and welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gimmage, and I'm so excited to be here with you. In every episode, our goal is to talk to educators who are solving problems for school communities, and Jen Perry is doing just that. She's the director of Whole Learner and SEL for Edmentum, the oldest ed tech company in the country, celebrating 60 years in education today. So I'm super excited to talk to Jen about what's going on in education and what it means to be a whole learner. And just before we get started, I want to remind you to subscribe to our YouTube channel at SEL Educators and visit our website, seleducators.com. With that being said, Jen, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. I'm excited to talk with you. Likewise, we we were able to connect at the Georgia School Board Association Conference, and uh, that was a, a wonderful time, you know, to be there. And you and your whole team were were gracious and very nice to me and my family members as well. So I'm, I'm excited to continue that connection and uh, move on here into the conversation. You you've got a very deep history in education. Um, I, what I think is most interesting is that it's not all traditional education. You worked in uh, juvenile justice centers, but you've also worked with elite public or private schools in right. the country. You know, how did all how did your experience in both of those diverse situations lead to, you know, kind of where you are now at Edmentum, being the director of Whole Learner and SEL, being able to create these curriculums and opportunities for students to, to build the skills they need to thrive? That's a great question. And, you know, it's, I think many times the best journeys happen when you don't plan them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So I, what I knew about myself from a young age is that I was someone who really enjoyed um, being with young people. And uh, I could, I, I had uh, the ability to help regulate when people were dysregulated. Mm. And so um I was also someone who, like many of our learners, uh, and before we knew about sort of the neurobiology of how our brain worked, needed to create connection and meaning in order to retain my learning. So uh, I worked before I went back into college, and I found that when I did that, I could do things like remember the names of the children that I worked with as I was mm-hmm. learning psychology, you know, child development. And it really stuck with me. And so that experience of being a learner who needed to create the context and meaning around my learning helped inform um, the ways that I looked at the different students that I engaged with. And so my path was um, a bit cyclical. I started when I left college, I had focused on um, crime and delinquency and really thinking about strength-based approaches to how we move that along. And this was a long time ago. It was before we were talking mm-hmm. about the school to prison pipeline and all that kind of stuff. And I worked in um, a locked facility for youth. And um, I moved away from that because uh, I was also coaching at the time. And I ended up, I was a student who went to boarding school. I ended up back in the boarding school world. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that um the kids who attend boarding school, regardless of the privilege that we perceive within that, um, have struggles with their families, have struggles with their emotional life, have struggles with all sorts of things that derail their learning. And um, when I left there, I went back into the juvenile justice world, as you said, or back into the world of 
a, a different kind of residential care where kids were mm-hmm. placed because they couldn't regulate their own behavior, right? right? Not because not not for other reasons. And and that could be for mental health, it could be for behavioral, it could be for lots of things. And um again, I realized that what was interfering with their ability to learn and grow was their emotional life and the things that happened in their families and their lives and their larger mm-hmm. eco-cultural niche. And so in any situation I've been in, there is this unifying piece about how the brain works, which is to say that any of our rational thinking, our productive learning, our ability to move forward, to grow and to flourish is derailed when we don't understand uh, or can't articulate what's going on in our emotional world, Mm -hmm. in our larger, you know, life and how that is impacting what we need to do, whether it's, whether it's food or, or shelter or learning differences or whatever, those kinds of things are the things we have to navigate as educators Mm -hmm. in order to really uh, create sticky learning and meaningful connection. Yeah, well said. I think there's no, people are people. And I think that's the value of even a person first approach. And my psychology background, that's one lesson or one statement from a professor that just just stuck with me, person first approach. They're not schizophrenic or bipolar. Mm-hmm. You have these things. And so it's a it's a distinct difference to say. And similarly, you know, my dad actually uh, was a defense attorney for 20 years mm-hmm. and he ran for probate court where he would have been over the juvenile justice um, center. My cousin similarly is a solicitor. So he's, we, I, I get to see pieces of, like you said, the residential learning community. And I've never thought about it like that, an alternative learning community. I I worked, my first job was at a residential high school, not a boarding school, but it was certainly full of elite students. And similarly, we put together a co-curricular development model to help regulate emotions, create cultural inclusion and things of that nature. And and similarly, you know, most of the kids out of the 300 students that I work with maybe have had some sort of um, anxiety, depression, or some kind of mental um or trauma, right? <laughs> trauma or trauma that they were yeah. were dealing with and so um I think that's very powerful to to be able to understand the difference so from your your history and we could talk there all day so I'm going to try to get into some pieces yeah, that are more um kind of nuanced here in going to Edmentum and creating this position that you're in now over a whole learner and SEL what kind of research did you do to put together or help piece together some of the curriculum components? I know you've got partners, but what was your thought process in building a curriculum to add to your suite of supports for students? Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting question. So um, just before COVID, so in, in like 2018, 19, um, people were more actively starting to realize that um, we needed to move curriculum to a place that started to begin to look with a larger lens at what kids need. At that point, I think most people were still seeing that as a set aside rather than an integrated piece. And um, the experience that I had had as an administrator in a residential school but also someone who needed to help people understand the navigation of family systems and things like that um, brought a perspective that um, was helpful for Edmentum in this case, our company's desire to look beyond 
just having an academic set of skills in you know that they that that people would consume right and so the idea was to think about how do those two worlds collide and i couldn't have told you necessarily I mean, I think what happened when I found out about the position was I woke up thinking, wouldn't it be great if in a, you know, K through five program, as kids were learning how to count, you also taught them how to take a breath, <laughs> you know, like, um, and because uh, we often will tell kids, you know, take a breath, count to five, and then, mm -hmm. right, why wouldn't you operationalize that into a learning curriculum so that it was just part of what people were, yeah. were doing? And I think um, science uh, particularly during COVID sped up our understanding of the fact that it's not a set aside, it's this integrated thing. And so much of what I do is um, not SEL specific. So SEL is an aspect of a whole learner approach. Yeah. So when we think about whole learner, right, I think about um, social and emotional learning, the skills are associated with social and emotional learning. I think about executive function, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, accessibility, how the brain works, like what is it that it takes to light up the brain? And so in a digital curriculum co company or a virtual learning setting, right, we're thinking about how does what we do help foster connection between um, a teacher and their students and parents? How does it help tell the story of why this child might be struggling with mm. math or whatever that is beyond the like they got five things right and they were on it for 20 minutes and um and also how do we begin to ask questions in the learning that help kids reflect on why it should should or could be meaningful to them in, in a, a larger time so what much of what i do is talk to people about um the pedagogical shift that's happening in education around what it means to engage kids in learning mm -hmm. and how the skills that we need, what, what are the skills that we need? And then tangibly in product, looking at how do we tell a kid, what, what is the phrasing we use when somebody gets something wrong? Right. Are we like, ah, no, wrong answer. Or, or are we saying like failure is part of learning? Like, and, and, and it's part of the struggle. How do we, how do we praise kids? How do we phrase a narrative so that it is a pro-social story rather than mm. just like, um, you know, something to the effect of like, oh, Johnny wants to build a robot. Well, Johnny, you got to do your chores first. Yeah. You know, we say, yeah. we say, Johnny, you're, you're, you want to build a robot? My gosh, you're so creative. Let's figure out how to set goals so you can get both of these things done. Right. It's just a simple change that then elevates this like um, more integrated learning approach. So I, I've, help people understand how to write curriculum with that sort of strengths-based mm. um, lens using the using a full brain approach right so how yeah. are we creating meaning yeah yeah well said uh, and for those i probably should have said it earlier but for those that are familiar with why do i know edmentum but not sure why you know edmentum yeah. i just pulled up um the website just to say a few like products and services so apex courses didn't realize that was all either everybody yeah. used apex Base Education, Reading Eggs, Study Island, Exact Path, um, amongst others, Ed Options Academy, Calvary. Yep, we have Learning. a virtual learning academy. Yep. So those are there's there's so many options that you have just to kind of to set that up and, and make sure we know what we're talking about. Cause I think when you hear like reading eggs or study island, just personally, 
those are pieces that I know you you can kind of see the the I, I, maybe this is the right term kind of gamification if you will or the the sort of incentives that are embedded in the curriculum um yeah. I love that that's that's actually a great point because when you think about so how do how do you look at, at the kind of gamification that you often see in a product like this right like we'll use exact path as an example right which is um uh kids as they build skills earn can earn a trophy right and and um for from a cultural lens if you're a student who comes from an individualist culture so a, a culture where we focus on like um my own achievement um then that trophy becomes really meaningful and can be a real incentive for learning. But if you come from a collectivist culture where you care about less about how you achieve, but more about how is what I'm doing helping the community around me? How is it elevating the group, right? Mm -hmm. Then a trophy isn't a motivator for learning. So maybe I'm not engaging as much on, on that. Right. But a trophy that contributes to the group's success like we'll say for this, a pizza party, right? Mm -hmm. Then can shift from a culturally relevant landscape, the engagement of a student who comes from a, a different perspective. Um, and so those kind of um, deep archetypes of individualist versus collectivist become part of a whole learner story in terms of the features that you create mm -hmm. when you're working in digital curriculum. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network, Better Today, Better Tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode. Yeah, and, and I, I think, thank you for, for elaborating on that. And I think um, one of the notes I put was emotion matters and informs pedagogy. And so I hear, um, even as I as I work through business or working with folks, you've got to find ways to tug on people's emotions. Motivation isn't strong enough. I can be motivated to get this trophy at one point, but if I don't have the emotion that's really pulling me, not having to be pushed out of bed, if that's a, 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 a phrase that folks are familiar with, can you talk about how you use um, perhaps emotion, and there's several ways we can talk about it to inform pedagogy, whether on the front end or in the curriculums that you're supporting? Yeah. So, you know, the, there's a, a neurobiologist who I, I like a lot. Her name is Mary Helen Imordino Yang, and she's um, out of California. And she has also been an educator. And she talks about emotions are the, um, the rudder that steers thinking, right? And so for me, I guess one of the things I do often in trainings is ask people a question like, can you remember the last time that you um, uh, were emotionally derailed? Like, can you remember the last time you responded poorly to something? <laughs> and you maybe it's like an email that you got and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. shoot off another email. And then you're like, later, why did I do that? You yeah. know, that, that kind of moment, right? Without the pause in between, our emotion has, has created a narrative that we then respond to that doesn't necessarily connect to the point. And so when you think about the things that provoke emotion, if we're in a, in a classroom where we don't feel safe, if we don't have the resources we need, if we haven't eaten, if we're not, our base needs aren't met, um, we're not regulated, or um, we feel bad about the subject we're learning. We're not good at, we feel like maybe we're not good at math. Math always gets a bad rap, but you yeah. know, like, uh, and, and, and yet uh, we're being asked to do something. 
that impacts learning, yeah. right? And the ways that we overcome that are by relationship. And so relationship in two different ways with the person in front of you, right? So you can, I think we can all think of that teacher. For me, it was my math teacher who I was terrible at math and she was so good at helping me learn my strengths and apply mm. those that I could do. She helped me do hard things. And I learned math because of that relationship. And so we all have those teachers who helped us do hard things. And we all have teachers who we maybe love the subject and they didn't help us do hard things because we didn't yeah. really love them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so you can see in that, in that example, how emotion matters in the quality of your learning experience. Right. So mm -hmm. that's one type of relationship. And the other type of relationship is that you're passionate about a subject, right? So you may be more, you use the word motivated, you may be more engaged in the learning because mm. it just lights you up, right? So you have to have some experience of re positive relationship to either the material or the person to create that deeper cognitive level rather than just rote memorization or just exposure that doesn't you know, we don't retain and we don't end up applying yeah. in other ways. And so yeah. for me, that's, you know, that's the story behind pedagogy. Now that we can see the brain when it learns and when deep learning occurs, that the deep emotion centers of our brain are lit up at the same time. And so if we're not using both of those, we're not really learning what we mm -hmm. need to. Mm -hmm. And to be engaged in learning, I know that's something that you've uh, done a lot of work in defining what is engagement. How, how do you define that? Uh, yeah, how do you define engagement for students? Yeah, it's such a good question. And one of the things we're doing at Edmentum is really looking at what does engagement mean, particularly in virtual learning or, or digital. There's, you know, two different aspects to that. Uh, they're not synonymous, but many, many of us, and it's not just true in digital education, look at engagement as behavioral. Does the child look engaged? Are they asking mm. good questions? Are they passing? Did they answer all the questions they're supposed to answer, right? Behavior, understanding the function of behavior has been a specialty of mine for about 20 years. And I think that um, it's normal and, and we look at a thing we can see, but really engagement is defined at four different levels, behavioral, cognitive and and deep cognitive so that's the meaning part we talked about right and and really thinking about this is where the sel skills of like critical thinking and problem solving and all of that comes into play um agentic meaning a student has agency over their learning they're they're choosing some element of it they're invested in some way right they have some direction and ownership over it and um emotional right and so you have those four different levels. And so the, the trick is like, if we're really going to have classrooms where kids are completely engaged and immersed and become independent learners rather than dependent learners, we have to hit on those four elements. It can't mm -hmm. just be behavioral because behavioral doesn't take into account, if I'm just looking at how much time someone spends, is that because they're immersed in it? Or is that because they have a learning difference and they're struggling right, with it? Right, right, right. We don't know the answer unless yeah. we have those other qualitative pieces to fill it in. Become your best self with bestself.co. They have 90-day journals, six-month action plans, daily journals, gratitude cards, relationship cards, 
all kinds of things to help you become a better version of yourself. Visit bestself.co and use the code GAMAGE for 15% off your next order. And, and that sort of feeds into the conversation of moving away from semantics and, and focused on building skills. And we can have, we can get analysis paralysis and politicize, whether it's SEL work or behavior work or whatever the case may be. But and again, use the word SEL, use the word emotional intelligence, whatever you want to use. But ultimately, we have to focus on building skills with students. And I'm curious for you, Jen, um, we talked a bit about research. And, you know, for me, one of the devices that you just gave me personally was to make sure I'm doing my research. And that's, yeah. something, that's something that I really do like. I, I enjoy research, um, reminding me to be a nerd again, like back in college. Uh, <laughs> can you talk to me about your processes for research or perhaps before you are, are going to engage in a new curriculum? What are some um, some sites that you're looking at? Or how do you how does one research? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good question, right? One of the things we try and teach kids is to separate what is a good source. <laughs> and, you know, so obviously for, for this question, I look at um, uh, higher learning institutions. I look at, um, you know, government research. I look at, I, I look across culturally in and out of the country. I look at multiple disciplines, right? So sometimes in, you know, my experience in, uh, I've been an educator for, for 35 years. We didn't call it SEL then, you know, but we knew mm -hmm. um, that some of those skills were important. Uh, but, but often when we look at learning science, it is an, it is a narrow field because what, what's happened early on is that we didn't play well with each other. Mm. Right. So, um, it's like going to a doctor and they look at your elbow and they look at your shoulder and they look at your knee and nobody makes that sort of larger connection. And science has different paces to it. So when when I went to school, we learned about Erickson's stages of development. We learned about Bowlby and Ainsworth's understanding of um, attachment, mm -hmm. right? Um, it wasn't until um, uh, later on that people started to look at uh, sort of productive engagement and, and the different ways that that happened. And so those social sciences we've seen as soft sciences, but in all of those, we've talked about the importance of um, connection, right? Early connection to your parents. Uh, there's studies um, out of the University of Buffalo around um, uh, the impact of connectedness in your family and your school to mm. GPA and, and, you know, the ability to stay away from things we don't want kids to be doing and, uh, and the positive impact on that, the search Institute, I use them for research. They 30 years ago, um, came up with the 30 develop the 40 developmental assets, internal and external. And then they most recently have done quite a bit of research around developmental relationships, which are one of the most pivotal ones. And so those protective factors. Hmm. So I like to look across disciplines, right. And now, that neurobiology can map the brain, what we've learned is those disciplines aren't separate silos. They're all aspects of what we need to put into learning science. Yeah. And that means we have to retool because the approach we've taken for educators for a long time has been learn your discipline, your, learn really well. If you're K through five, you love kids and you know you wanna create this structure where they can do the early basic learning, but you know, you're teaching them to know better and by the time they get to sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, we're assuming they should know better. And our our high school teachers 
are teaching content instead of children in some ways, right? Mm. Because that's what we're asked to be specialists in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so we lose this thread, and it's it's no wonder that you know some of the recent data um, from the Search Institute specifically has shown that connection as kids age wanes and out of school programs do better at it than in school programs. I mean, there's lots of structural reasons for that, right? Yeah. So my advice around data and research is look cross-discipline in a cross-disciplinary way at things that are reflected in um, all the things we need, right? And and how they play together. And it and it's a beautiful time to do that because people are really COVID really helped people understand that um, everybody needs to deal with emotions and and everybody needs to learn how to regulate themselves and we all need coping skills and we all need to learn to be problem solvers and you know it's not just those kids it's mm -hmm. not just this person mm -hmm. you know yeah have, absolutely yeah. that's um that could be one of the the most angering parts of the, thinking that some of these things are for certain kids yeah. and certainly for everybody um thank you for sharing that uh with the research the search institute Obviously, you've got like Google searches or, or Google Scholar. Um, is there any other go-tos that may be um, like a free resource? I know like JSTOR or there's some backends where you need to have like a university login. Is there is there any other um, sites I mean, perhaps that may be? I, I would use TED Talks. I mean, there's some okay. really good, like you can yeah. hear Mary Helen Imordino's Yang's stuff. You can hear um, Dan Siegel's work on the brain. You can, you can... Um, see all sorts of uh, of research that leads you places to get deeper research right around things um and so you know that's that's a really that's a really good place to start to see the crossover people are really using that platform well yeah wonderful where are we going next in education as you do your research continue to put out you know top-notch curriculums and things where is education going um Oh, that's such such a good question. And I think um, you know, answering that is is tricky because I think like like many things in education, we we always want the best for kids. And so we have tended to follow what looks like this singular solution, the shiny object of something. And um, what we understand, is um, teachers need support, right? And so how do we create that? We need to create resources for individualized differentiated learning that teachers can use in any setting, right? To be the best, to be their best selves. And that the tools that, that we equip them with when they were first educated aren't enough necessarily to navigate the new world. We learned that during COVID when everybody had to go right. digital, right? <laughs> yeah. And and then not only did everybody have to go digital, but they had to start talking about emotions and they couldn't assess a person's body in the class if there was something going on. They had to start to use these other assessment things. Mm -hmm. um, we need to, uh, I think we're going to see more integration of what kind of assessments, what we're looking at when we look at assessments, how do we help teachers um, differentiate what they're seeing and use that to more effectively um, support kids, whether it's in the classroom or virtually. Um, we just, 
uh, at Edmentum, we just published, well, we were part of a paper that was published outside of us. So it wasn't um, influenced by, you know, what we might want an outcome to be, right, around virtual learning. And it's called a, a human-centered uh, virtual learning uh, approach. And um, it looks at the three things that are needed, you know, in education. And, and the first one is, um, is, you know, people, right? This idea that even, even digital curriculum can't be absent a person. We all need to be connected. Yeah. Um, that quality matters, right? It's not the modality necessarily, but good quality education that is somehow facilitated or has a touch point with a person is essential. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think those things really fit into a, a, a whole learner piece. So I think where we're going is we're recognizing that um, somehow in the small window of the hours that we have to educate kids, we have to figure out how to support teachers to do more because not because we need to be social workers, right? but because the brain works in ways we didn't understand when our education system was set up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I don't think uh, it's realistic or helpful to think that everybody's going to deal with every kid's emotional life uh, and be a therapist. Yeah. But uh, but we do know the brain functions differently. And so the way that we teach, present material, guide people in their learning, think about those things needs to shift. And that requires yeah. all of us who are supporting educators and students to think about equipping them with the tools mm to do that successfully. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've got to, we've got to support teachers to impact students. That that's yeah. um, certainly a tenant that I try to operate by myself. Last question for you. What keeps Edmentum at the forefront of education, even for someone like myself who doesn't realize that Edmentum is an umbrella organization with industry leading, you know, curriculums in multiple categories. What keeps y'all so innovative in an industry that tends to stay stagnant? Well, um, it's an interesting question as well, because I never pictured myself in a for-profit virtual learning company, right? I've been in non-for-profits dealing with kids in front mm -hmm. of me and people in front of me my whole life. And I thought, how does this align up with my value system, right? What What is different about this? So it's not just this consumer thing we're trying to... I think the values that Edmentum has um, around um, educator first, people are our heart, um, generating empathy, uh, all of those things, um, supporting, you know, the spark in a learner, igniting mm -hmm. the spark in a learner. Um, they, they ring true to a whole learner model. And um, what, what stands out to me is that we don't see that as a singular exported practice. We believe that means we have to behave that way. So during all these things, we did internal work right. around bias, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, around how do we handle our emotions with all the social justice issues and the, and the COVID issues and all of those things? What does that do to our, our folks? How do we support them in thinking with a broader lens? Because mm -hmm. if we don't take care of them, we can't ask them to write curriculum from, you know, from a broader lens either. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I, what for me, you know, emotionally separates 
us because we're still a business is the striving, active striving to live those goals mm. in a way that um, the other thing I think differentiates us in the market is that uh, we build relationships with, we take that relationship piece seriously and we build relationships with our the people that we're serving. Um, uh, whether it is sitting with them to understand their needs and not just say, here's what our product is, you need to make it fit, but saying, we're not going to tell you what the solution is. Tell us what you need. And let's see if we have a solution that speaks to that need and let's tailor it to your needs. Mm. And then we're going to partner with you all the way through that. And I have traveled with salespeople. You met them. I mean, they are really, they really take that message to heart. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And you can feel it. You can feel it with the sales yeah. folks. I, I I told everybody there, you know, you can, you you tell when you meet a good team or when you got some team that's got right. some tension and, and folks that don't like each other. So um, Jen, this has been wonderful. It's been uh, wonderful talking to you uh, each of the three or four times I've had the chance to, to be in your presence thus far. And I look forward to continuing to learn more about you and learn more about Edmentum. Is there anything else that you want to share with the folks listening today? I mean, I just would say one thing that's tangible that is measurable, which is, you know, I talked about this engagement work that we're doing and looking at, you know, many, many companies look at engagement from that sort of singular behavioral lens. How do we measure people use our product more, you know, this many mm-hmm. minutes. And so this work that we're doing and we're presenting at um, at a research conference in April around um, the things that we're learning about what our data story tells us qualitatively and quantitatively about how to create a more engaging atmosphere. Um, That work that moves us to those four areas of engagement is unique in in the um, virtual learning. And, and, And the fact that we actually live this practice with our virtual teachers, that we don't just say this is for you, we actually educate our teachers who are in our virtual academy to do these kinds of things too, I think is also a differentiator. No, I guess what I would leave folks with Trey is I just so enjoyed meeting you. I love the work that you're doing. I think that you are an important voice in leading us through, you know, you talked about earlier on this idea of um, not getting stuck in semantics, right? Mm. Thinking about what is it at the core of these things, whether it's youth develop, positive youth development or SEL or, you know, those things that matter. And I think everyone across the nation, across the world, agrees that our kids need to be adaptable, empathetic team workers who can problem solve things we don't even know are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if we don't start to build this more metacognitive approach to learning these these really essential skills i mean content is just a vehicle for those skills if we really want to create the next generation of problem solvers and so that's what i'm invested in i wouldn't stay anywhere that didn't let me do that and i think you are a voice shouting that and that's so important and i want to thank you for that i certainly appreciate that uh that that means a whole lot to me jen um, thank you very much. And I'm 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 looking to, to continue growing and do the work. I'm in a season of grind. So I'm ready to go get it. I'm ready to to earn some stripes and and make changes in education because we're ripe for the opportunity. So thank you again, Jen. And for everybody that's listening, if you like this episode, share it with someone that needs to hear it. We're trying to ex- share voices that are solving problems for school communities. 
Jen and Edmentum are doing just that. Remember to check us out on YouTube at SEO Educators. Same for our website. And we'll see you next time. This is The Dash. Thanks for listening to us on The Dash Podcast. I definitely hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you liked it, share it with a friend. Share it with an educator. Share it with someone who needs to hear the message from this episode. You can visit our website, seleducators.com, to learn more about our online courses and professional development training for schools and districts. We'll see you next time. This is The Dash.